Father God, we want to thank you so much for what you do for us, what you've done for us. Thank you that we've been able to spend this time already this morning remembering uh, the work of your son on the cross for us, what that means, how that liberates us. It frees us from the chains of guilt and sin and oppression. Lord, and yes, seated with Christ in heavenly places through the work uh, of him who loved us. We're so grateful for that. We're so grateful for your provision to us, uh, Lord, in so many different ways. Uh, We bring this offering to you uh, this morning, Lord, in just recognition that what we are, what we have comes from you. Uh, Lord, we pray that it will be used uh, wisely uh, in uh, the furtherance of your kingdom in this community. Pray for wisdom for those who decide how it's spent, uh, that we'll see your name more and more glorified in this community, please. As Chris comes to speak to us now, I pray that you would open our hearts and ears to what he has to say. Lord, you give us uh, open his receptive hearts, Lord, that we would hear from you this morning. Pray that you bless Chris, fill him with your spirit for this, Lord, anoint him for this and his words. Uh, and we, yeah, Lord, we long to hear from you this morning. Amen. Chris is going to get up in just a moment. I am going to read. We're in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. Uh, if you've got a Bible, um, it's towards the end. If you don't have a Bible, Heike has a few that she's... Just stick your hand up and Heike will bring you one. 1 Corinthians 15... We're reading from verses uh, 1 to 11, and then skipping on a bit and picking up in verse 50. One Corinthians 15, 1 to 11, and then 50 to 58. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And then from verse 50. I declare to you, Brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. 
When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Good morning. A number of years ago, um, I went to um, Liberia in West Africa. It, was the time, it wasn't the time I went with Ben, it was the time before that. And I remember in a church um, in the north of Liberia preaching, and I was preaching in English. There was a man standing by the side of me who was interpreting into one language. But the whole way through my sermon, there was a man sat right at the back talking the whole time, right at the back, and I thought, you rude person. You know, do you not understand that I'm so, you know... I've come all the way from England to speak to you, and you're chattering away. I discovered afterwards, actually, he was also interpreting to the people that were sat in the row in front of him, so that um, it was into another language. So just in case you think these people here are very rude and they're just talking the whole time, I just want to introduce to you uh, Sasha's parents. Uh, her, Her father is a pastor, and his wife... And, um, and they don't speak English. And so they've got their own uh, translator, interpreter here. And uh, she, so that's why she's talking all the way through this <laughs> to them. You're, you're very welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. God bless you. So today um, we've come to uh, the final talk of three that I've been giving under the main title of Shaped by Hope. And for those of you who are visiting, the reason partly for this is that uh, in, a, in a short time we're going to change, be changing the name of our church here to Hope Church. And I wanted us to have some sort of equipment, if you like, when people ask us why are you called that, we've got some material that we can... That we can uh, Use to, to explain things. Um, my hope is, which means of course it's going to happen, oh dear, um, is that by next Sunday I'll have uh, printed out the notes of these three talks in a slightly concise version to give you so that you've got them uh, to peruse at your leisure. So in talk one, um, I spoke about hope that shapes me personal hope, the confidence that we find individually by putting our trust in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord. Um, We looked at the fact that he has gone right through into the presence of God, into the holy place for us. He lived, he died, he was raised, he ascended, and now he's in the presence of the Father for us. And our hope is like an anchor that has been thrown into that place where Jesus is and he's like the rock and our hope is the anchor that's fixed into 
all that he is and all that he has said and says, his promises to us. So he's the rock. Our hope is the anchor. And our faith is like the chain that attaches us to that anchor. So when our lives are like the stormy sea, as we've been hearing a little bit about during the service, when life feels like that, we tug on the chain. We tug on our faith, which reminds us of where our hope is, which is fixed in Jesus. So we keep our eyes on that which is unseen rather than on that which is seen. You still with me? Okay, so that's our personal hope. Our confidence regarding forgiveness and acceptance and eternal security is fixed firmly in Jesus. In talk number two, I spoke about hope that shapes us. That is how the personal hope that we each have joins us as a family, as a body, a community of hope. And that common hope shapes and determines the sort of community that we become. So, if you getting back to my anchor picture again, so if, if my anchor is fixed firmly in Jesus and what he has done and what he says, that brings me into a position of security where I can reach out to other people. So when I know that I'm forgiven, then I can be forgiving to other people. When I know that I'm secure in Christ, I can be generous towards others and welcoming towards them. When I know that I've been accepted, I can somehow reach out to make them feel accepted and welcomed. It affects the sort of community that we become, a family that bears the likeness of our Father. But it's not just about me and us. This hope also shapes the way we view everything and everyone else on earth. It changes our perspective, not just on me, not just on us as a church, but our perspective on everything else. So this morning I want to talk about hope that shapes mission. First of all, I want to define mission. I need to define what I mean by that. Often when we talk about mission, people's thoughts automatically turn to what we call mission organizations and missionaries. So we have this sort of a picture of someone who uh, leaves the country of their birth and travels overseas to live in a different culture and learn a different language in order to tell the indigenous people the good news about Jesus. That's mission. That's missionaries. And some people are missionaries and some people are not. Some people are on a mission and some people are not. That's a sort of traditional misconception that we have. It is a misconception. But some of us were reminded at West Point last weekend, and uh, Adam referred to it earlier on, we are all missionaries. Those who go, and those who go home. We're all missionaries. We are all part of God's mission. It's a false concept that you, if to be a missionary, you have to go overseas somehow. Why would that make any difference? 
I want to tell you that, you know, I've been overseas, not, not as a missionary, but I've been overseas to speak in churches in other, other countries. And it's very interesting, when you go to visit missionaries, so let me take for an example Mark and Judith Woolley that I visited three times when they were out in China. I went to visit them and spend time with them. Actually, they do exactly what we do. I thought, oh, what? so they're missionaries, what are they doing? Well, they're living, they're working, they're making friends with their neighbours, They're looking for opportunities to show the love and compassion of God and hopefully at some point to be able to share the good news about Jesus with them. And I thought, well, that's what I do. That's what we do. Now, I don't want to minimise the sacrifice uh, that those people make because they, they leave their own culture, they have to adapt to another culture, don't they, Vanya? (laughs) adapt to another culture and learn another language. And I don't want to minimise that, but what I want to do is maximise what we're doing. For you to understand that if you were a missionary in another country, you'd be doing exactly the same as what you're doing here. You would be living, you would be working, you would be looking to make friends with your neighbours and your friends, and maybe at some opportune moment to show them something of the love and kindness of God and perhaps be able to talk to them about Jesus. That's what you would be doing. That's what you're doing. We are all part of that mission. Jesus gave his disciples, and that includes us, most of us here, if not all of us here, what has become known as the great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, which is great because it's immense. And it's great because it's God's mission. That's why it's a great commission. It's not because it's got lots of words in it. It's great because it is all-embracing. And God, Jesus, has asked us to be part of what God is doing. It's God's Mission. Can you understand that the mission that we're involved in is not our mission, it's God's mission. This loving, generous creator who loves his creation so much that he wants his creation to know him. It's God's mission. He created the world, he placed humans in it and said, this is good, this is good. And one day... Sooner than later, I hope, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth which will be equally good. He's working towards something that is going to be equally good. And we are living in a sort of overlap situation where that new thing has begun but has has yet to come. We live in that sort of overlap of now but not yet. So we experience something of the life of Jesus and the kingdom of God right here and now in this life, but we know it's not yet perfect. We know that the day will come when he will create a new heaven and a new earth, and here's the news for you, you're going to spend eternity on the new earth, not in the new heaven. So if you've ever, like me, thought to yourself, do you know, 
I know it, it describes heaven as being, you know, like streets of gold, and I thought, how boring. Would you want to spend the whole of eternity sort of walking up and down streets of gold? But what about a new earth that's as beautiful as this earth that God created in the first place, unspoiled, unmarred? Doesn't that, I think, oh, yeah, give me some of that. That would be just wonderful. Jesus told us, told his disciples to pray that God's kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's true to say that one day that prayer will be answered perfectly in the new earth. But in the meantime, it's God's intention that we pray that prayer for now. That the world that he loves so much should get a taste or a foretaste of that kingdom here and now. Are you still with me? And uh, let me explain further then. Good, there's three of you who are still awake. I wanted to ask, what motivates us? What motivates us as to be part of this mission or to take our part in this mission? What motivates you to be part of this? I think we move on a bit, Ben. I think I, I, that's it. That's, we're all part of that, not just that man with a funny hat. Thank you. Lovely. Um, just a few weeks ago, I won't mention any names, but there, I was talking to somebody in the church who was quite distressed that a friend of theirs had died and there was a certain degree of uncertainty around what had happened to that person once they died. Had we done enough? I remember sitting um, with my father as he was dying with cancer and sitting in the hospital uh, with my mum and we were sat by his bedside. He was in a coma from which he he never came out and died and I can remember sitting there thinking sitting there right through the night thinking have I done enough? Have I done enough? Did I do enough? Will he be saved? You know, can, what, should I have said more? And so on. And I remember part way through that night just saying to God God I cannot bear the responsibility of this. I can't bear the responsibility of his eternal destiny. I can't bear it. And I've had two similar sort of experiences. One was, again, a few years ago in China, in Beijing. And I had a couple of nights on my own in Beijing just to see the sights. And I remember walking through a park in, uh, just behind the Forbidden City and walking through the park one evening and lots of families and couples walking there and thinking to myself, you know, it was China and, you know, the, it, it's difficult for the church to preach the gospel there. It's, it, the church is persecuted. It's hard. How are these people ever going to hear about Jesus? And how are they ever going to be saved? There was that, I'm, I'm just, just completely overwhelmed. I was saying, God, this is too big. It's too big. And I remember just a few weeks ago, I had a sort of a repeat of that when I spent the day up in London and during the afternoon was sitting in Leicester Square and I bought myself a coffee, was sat outside um, the, the coffee place, just looking out across Leicester Square where hundreds of people, all sorts of nations, you know, tourists, the place was heaving with people. And I was just watching them and I was thinking, God, how are they going to hear? 
How are they? And you might say, well, Chris, you should have gone and told them all. But like there were hundreds of them. How were they ever all going? And you could multiply that a million times over across this country, let alone the rest of the world. And I was thinking, how are they ever going to know about Jesus in order to make that decision? And you might say, well, Chris, the gospel is spreading, you know, in this nation and that nation and the church is growing. But what about that person that just died and that person and that person and that person? It's too late for them. So as you can imagine, this is my day out in London. By the, I was just like overwhelmed with the size of this and thinking, how? How? And I ended up praying the same prayer that I prayed at my father's bedside, which was, God, this is too big. You're going to have to deal with this. I can't, de- I cannot deal with this. It can't be just my responsibility. I can't bear that. Well, here's my challenge then. So what motivates me? The first, is it hell or is it hope? Hell or hope? Hell or hope? Fight! No. Is it hell or is it hope? Well, the first of those two possibilities, the fact that if people don't receive Jesus as their saviour, they go to hell... Do you know, I, that's something that I wouldn't choose to preach. I don't like the doctrine of hell. Now, before you start thinking, oh, hello, bit dodgy here, what's he saying? I'm just saying, I don't like it. I'm not saying I don't believe in it, I just don't like it. Do you like it? I mean, I don't like it. it I, I just don't like it. I hear people saying... You know, we don't hear many sermons about hell these days. I tell you why. Because preachers don't like it. It's not, you know, it's not something you wake up in the morning and think, oh, I think I'll give them a bit of hell today. You know, you don't do that. Well, actually, sometimes you feel like that. I don't do that. Anyway. Um, but you don't, you don't do that. Um, and just in case you're, you're, you're one of those people who says, we don't, we, I don't think we've ever heard a sermon on hell in this church. This is it. At least, I don't know what the next pastor is going to do, but this is as far as it goes, as far as me. It's me saying, I don't like it. Okay. It's a doctrine, quite frankly, that I don't like, but it's a truth. And a true teacher should teach facts, not just what he likes to teach. This doctrine, like all Christian doctrine, is, a, is not simply a concept or a metaphor. It's a fact, a reality. And this particular reality is the existence of hell. A real place where real people go. And although I don't like this fact and would like to ignore it, I could only do that, ignore it, by editing out a whole swathe of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, because I got so stirred up about this, and I knew what I was going to be preaching to you about, I've, I've had, you know, I have had, I've had just awful two weeks trying to sort out what I was going to say this morning. No, no, it's worse than Adam's. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I read. 
I read this again, which um, some of you may have seen this book, Erasing Hell, by um, Francis Chan. It's an excellent book on the subject of hell, if you want to read a book on hell. And he actually begins the book by saying, I didn't want to write this book. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent book on the subject. So I read that and thought, oh, do, what do I do? What am I going to do? Oh, no. So, because throughout the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as our saviour, our rescuer. Now that raises one simple question for me. If he's a saviour, what does he save us from? If he's a rescuer, what does he rescue us from? There must be something that is so terrible that the Son of God would have to come to earth in order to die on a cross to save us from it. That makes sense. So I can't deny this truth, this reality. He rescues us from eternal separation from God, eternal punishment that is the consequence of our own sin. And the simple fact that he came and lived and died and rose again to rescue us from that fate is one motivation to be involved in God's mission. Having been rescued myself, I'm moved to take that news to others. There is a sort of motivation there, isn't there? I found the way of escape. I need to tell others who are in the same predicament that I was in to trust him. How can I stand by and do nothing when people are heading for disaster? That's a fair enough question. And it ought to be part of our motivation. It ought to be somewhere there at the back of our minds as we consider the mission of God that we're involved in. But what do we do about that sort of motivation? Some might say, well, warn people. But how do you do that? You know, what do you do? If you see someone heading for disaster, do you just stand and shout at them, Disaster! Watch out! Watch out! Disaster! Well, or, do you actually try and do something to help them? Do you stand at a distance and say, you stupid people? Can't you see where you're going? What do you do? What do you do with this motivation? Do you spend your whole life telling people about hell? And in every conversation and every opportunity, telling people that they're going there? John, I did this once. Um, but, but my, my mother-in-law lives out in the countryside, and uh, this is years and years ago when I was working with an evangelistic group. And um, it was decided that they wanted to do uh, like an evangelistic outreach into the village. And um, so I said, well, I'll produce... Why don't we produce a little leaflet which we could put through doors and then we could go round later on when they've seen the leaflet and sort of follow up conversations. So, we, so I designed this little leaflet. And on the front of it, it says, Are you going to... No, that's it. No, it said, Will you, in small letters, and then go to hell in big letters. And we, and we put that through every door. And uh, we're, quite, <laughs> we're quite surprised at the negative response that we got. <laughs> so, so, is that what we do? I don't think we do. 
I have two arguments against that sort of activity now. And I was just a young lad then, uh, against such a response. One is that it would produce very little positive results and would only drive people away from us rather than towards us. And the other argument is simply that the New Testament doesn't tell us that this is the predominant message of Jesus or his church. Rather, it shows us that we have good news. That's it all the way through, isn't it? Good news. You've got good news to share. We are bearers of the gospel, which lays the emphasis on the intervening gracious love and mercy of God, supremely demonstrated in the gift of his son, Jesus. And so we come back to the anchor analogy again. Because I am secure, because we are secure in our relationship to Jesus, our rock, we're in a good position to reach out to others and do all we can to bring them into the family of God. Through evangelism and testimony, of course. Telling the story, telling your story. But I think there's more. There's more to it than that. So mission is more than you think. It's God's mission. It's a great commission. It's a big thing. There's more to it than just saying words about hell and the Saviour. There are other things to be done. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not eliminating those two things. I'm simply saying it's bigger than that. It's that, but it's more. This thing is so much bigger. This mission involves so much more. To illustrate, let's bring it right home here for us. Why do we do little feet? Why do we do big feet? By the way, if you're a visitor, that isn't, we don't do chiropody. Um, it's just the name of our toddler group. And also big feet is the, when we invite the fathers to come and spend the morning with the children. So why do we do that? Why do we do options? Why do we do club for the youth? Why do we have the hope drop-in? Why... Did we, do we do food bank? Why do we do, did we do the fun day? Why lighthouse? Why cabaret evenings? Why quiz nights? And other social events? Why do we send money, as we're going to do next week, to Barnabas Fund for the relief of people in Syria and in northern Iraq? Why did Ian and Sandra go out to Burundi with Food for the Hungry to look for a project there that we could be involved in, in helping those people that live in abject poverty? And what about CAP? What about money course? What about debt counselling? What about job clubs? What about ROPE, WEC, BAC? And you could come up with more and more. Why do we do those things? And you might say... Well, it's so that we might perhaps at some point have an opportunity to talk to those people about Jesus. And that might be the case. But isn't it more than that? It's more than that, isn't it? Because if it's just that, failure. Failure. How many conversions have we had through most of those? Now, okay, you can give me the list afterwards. But I would say, in a percentage-wise... It's been very small. And you might therefore come to the conclusion that it was a waste of time, and a waste of effort, a waste of energy, a waste of resources, a waste of money. What was the point? If, that, if it didn't result in conversions, 
Are these things just bait designed to hook people? Or is there more to it than that? Are those things, those activities, those good works completely pointless unless and until they result in conversions? Another book that I've dipped into this next week, because I had, I had a week of hell, and then I thought, <laughs> I thought I'd read a bit of this, uh, Tom Wright's book, Surprised by Hope. You should all read this, because it's, because it says hope. Um, I didn't read the whole book, this, you'll know, you'll be pleased to know, but I did read the last section, which is about how mission, how hope affects the mission of the church, and just, he actually, referring to that passage that Ben read to us earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse, verse 58, where it says, Stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, and this is the point, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So whatever you do in the name of the Lord is not in vain. It's not pointless. It's not worthless. Whatever you do in the name of the Lord, little feet, big feet, options, uh, hope dropping, the whole list, none of it's in vain as you do it in the name of the Lord. It's not in vain. And uh, his comment, Tom Wright's comment, I want to read this quotation. I don't often read quotations from books to you because I, I have a feeling that sometimes we, you know, we drift off during those. But, but it's quite a long quote, but I just want you to hear this, and you can go away and meditate on it at some point. But this is what he says. You are not oiling the wheels of a machine that's about to fall over a cliff. You, uh, you are not restoring a great painting that's shortly going to be thrown on the fire. You are not planting roses in a garden that's about to be dug up for a building site. You are accomplishing something which will become in due course part of God's new world. Every act of love, every act of gratitude or kindness, every work of art or music, he says, inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed which spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honoured in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation which God will one day make. That's the logic of the mission of God. God's recreation of his wonderful world which has begun with the resurrection of Jesus and continues mysteriously as God's people live in the risen Christ and in the power of his Spirit, means that what we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. Now you can think about that in your own time. But 
And it, it raised a few questions for me. I thought, where's this going? And that's my fault for not having read the rest of the book first. But it, it opened something up for me. It opened up that question. Why do we do these things? Are they pointless unless people are converted? Or is there something more? So that, as Adam referred to earlier on, so that what you do every day, the way you live your life, the way you reach out to people, the way you show concern for people, what you do in your daily work, it has some value. It has some value within the kingdom of God. I'm just looking at some of you, thinking like Siraj and what you're doing uh, day by day working in the hospital. And um, um, what do you do? No, <laughs> anyway, I will, sorry, I will, I may go, I may make, but whatever you do, wherever you are, it's part of God's mission. You can, what you can do, you do it in the name of Jesus. It's not in vain. It's part of the mission. And yes, if it leads to you talking about him, of course that's what we want to do because we love him and he's wonderful and he's got the gift of eternal life which we want people to have. But I just wanted to say, it's not just that, it's that. Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the things we do, every act of compassion, mercy, justice, which we want to see for people like like the the folks that were affected by the business in Rotherham, or whether it's it's the suffering uh, refugees coming out of Syria. Every act of compassion, every act of mercy and justice is a demonstration that the kingdom of God is actually happening here and now and a foretaste of what will eventually be in perfection. When we had the fun day back in June, you know, I don't know about you, but I thought to myself, which bit was best? Was it the bit when we were worshipping God, we were singing songs and Tom was doing this excellent preach? You know, was that, <laughs> was that the best bit? Or was it, was it the, the next bit? You know, when we were having the barbecue and bouncing around on, well, some of us were bouncing around on castle, bouncy castles and painting people's faces. I, asked, I genuinely asked myself the question. I thought, which, which bit did I like best? I don't know. So I enjoyed the fact that we were out worshipping God in the open air. It was great to do that. But actually, when I stood there through the afternoon and saw you guys out there involved with people and talking to people and enjoying yourself and they were enjoying themselves, I thought, this is great. This is the kingdom of God. It was good. So, you know, so food for the hungry that Ian's involved in. Now, which is the best? Is it, is it just us worshipping God here on a Sunday and saying to Ian, well, off you go then, Ian, go off to Burundi and do whatever you like, or off to Kenya. Where are you going this week? <laughs> no, but, you know, is it, but, you know, is, is this the best bit, this? Or is that? Is, is the work of Barnabas Fund helping the refugees and the poor people there is that, is, is this better than that? Which is the best bit? This worship? Or is it that? Well, even to try to answer the question is impossible. 
The answer is, which is best? Yes. Yes. It's good. So my conclusion. Hallelujah. The conclusion. Hope. Hope in heaven and on earth, in me, in you, in us, in the future and in the present, shapes the mission of the church. Is the mission of the church. Are good works, social, moral, ethical, enough? No. Is preaching about hell and sin enough? No. Is merely talking about the love of God enough? No. It's the whole package. When Jesus comes into my life, he comes into every aspect of my life. Not just the religious bit. Not just what I do Sunday mornings. It comes into the way I run my family, my home, my, the way I relate to my neighbours, what I do at work and so on. He comes into my life. Every aspect of my life. When he comes into your life, he comes into every aspect of your life. He comes, when he comes into our community as a church... It's into the life of this community and into the life of the wider community out there that as yet still don't know Jesus. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it in its fullness. He brought hope to the lost and to the sick and to the bereft and the demonized and the poor and the outcast. And he brought hope that was for the here and now and for the there and then. So we must do the same. As we are, will be Hope Church. Let's pray together. You know, I know that, I guess every preacher would say this, but I do, I do feel that the things that we've looked at these past three times are very significant for us. And things that we need to really get a hold of as part of our identity as, a, as individuals and as a community of God's people. And so just as we bow before God now... Um, Let's make a fresh commitment of ourselves to this wonderful mission that God has chosen to involve us in. As an individual, is your hope like an anchor fixed in Jesus for your own salvation? It's about him. It's about your relationship with him. It's not about anything else. It's about... His, him, what he has done, who he is, what he said, that's your, that's your rock in which you've placed your hope. And if you're, you are in that place of struggling and feeling pressed on all sides, just, um, just, just 
give a tug on that chain again of your faith. Say, this is attached to my hope, which is in Jesus, my rock. But how does it, let's ask again, let's ask that question, how does it affect my relationship with my brothers and sisters here in the church? Am I really part of this family, part of what God's called me to be? committed, involved, so that together we can be a community that makes an impact upon the wider community and beyond that to other parts of the world? Am I, am I giving myself to that? It's, and can I see that all that I do and all that we do and all that we're involved in is part of this great mission that God has called us to be part of I'd like us to pray into that Lord Lord Jesus thank you that you came you are our rock you came you are there in the presence of the Father for us right now always living to make intercession for us you stand before the Father for us We want to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and what you have done, what you have promised and what you say even now. Well, because that affects who we are today. We want to affirm again, Lord, I put my trust in you. I put my life in your hands, Lord Jesus. It's about you. It's about you, Lord Jesus. I look to that which is unseen. And Lord, we want to pray too about your church here, your, the body of Christ here. Thank you for brothers and sisters who share this hope. Thank you for brothers and sisters whose lives are shaped by that same assurance and confidence and knowledge that we're forgiven and secure in you. Thank you for brothers and sisters that encourage us, that worship with us, that inspire us, that show compassion towards us, that spur us on to love and good works. Thank you for brothers and sisters. Thank you for your family. Lord, we want to say again, I want to be in this, Lord. I want to be part of this, Lord. And this mission, Lord, I don't understand, Lord, the the breadth, the enormity of what you've called us into. It's much bigger than this tiny little thing that we, that I sometimes think about that's just about me. It's much bigger. Lord, I recognize that before you again this morning. It's bigger than this church. It's bigger than the other churches in this town. It's bigger than this nation. It's bigger. It's bigger. Lord, when we sang that song right at the beginning of the meeting about your fame beyond the earth, it's it's big, Lord. This is big. You've called us to be part of something big. Help us, Lord, in everything we do, Lord, Every, everything we do, Lord, whether it's here in this building or whether it's in some other organized activity 
or whether it's in our personal lives, in our family, with our, amongst our neighbours, in the community here in the town and in this area around us, whether it's in another nation, wherever it is, Lord, we give ourselves again to you this morning, to this mission that is shaped by this hope, Lord, that you have put in our hearts. And we say this, Lord, from our hearts. In the name of Jesus. Amen.